tuned in to this week's episode of Tribal Research Specialists, the podcast. A podcast about tribal people, our communities, and discussions on research traditions. We aim to uncover the true meaning of research methodological approaches that are currently operating in tribal life, with implications for tribal communities and avenues for knowledge production. that is singing there and i don't know that's a killer tune no? it is no yeah that's a good one and, and uh i'm wondering if you know now i'm gonna give you a hint it's local montana local or flathead meaning, local or what Montana local montana local now i'll age it a little bit for you so maybe you can hone in on it it's probably from the 70s would I know? Uh, I don't know. Yes, you might. Yeah, I, don't I mean, know. You, well, how old were you in the seventies? Zero. <laughs> but you were live in the eighties, and you know some of the some of the uh, legends from the eighties. Is that Bill? Ba- not Bill Baker. Oh, that's no. North Dakota, man. Yeah, yeah, we're Montana. So this comes from the this uh, collection of reel to reels I have. I counted them up. I have fifty. Six reel to reels in this collection, spanning from about 1950 all the way up to the late 1970s. Well, let's let our let's uh, uh let our guest here take a stab at it. Does yeah. he know who that was? Let's welcome Ben Pease to the show. <sighs> <laughs> we'll insert some applause. Yeah. Hello, hello. Good afternoon, good morning, good evening, and good night. <laughs> He's out. <laughs> He's, He's out. out. He's good out. Talk. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know who it was. All right. I literally have no idea who it was. No clue. My only yeah. guess would be, uh, I don't know, kind of high pitch, high tone, almost like a Clayton Mountain Pocket from The Crow, but that's not even a Crow song, sounds like. Yeah. Clayton sung high. He's a real high singer. Yeah. So this was the legendary uh, Pat Kennedy. I knew yeah. Pat. I knew him. Legendary Pat Kennedy. Yeah. Yeah, he man. Me in a hand drum contest. <laughs> oh, yeah. Wow. Well, so here's Naturally. the kicker to that, though. Um, <laughs> okay. Uh, he he um, is actually not from Montana. Right. Right. From, uh, I think Saskatchewan, right? Yeah, I believe so. I believe like Red that. Pheasant or something, Mosquito yeah. Reserve or something. Yeah. But then he married a Blackfeet woman in Browning. Mm-hmm. And then he that's kind of where he made his name, but I think he was already a pretty good singer before he moved over to Montana. I'm sure. I'm sure. Yeah, this is one of the one of the few songs, you know, on on this uh one of these uh 
reel to reels I have that was identified as the singer. And and when you hear it, and if you know kind of his style of singing, mostly his songs, you know, a lot of his songs are still still persist today. Re- really good, good composed songs. And that's one up, I he's an upbeat composer. His yeah. song style wasn't like somber tunes, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so that one I hadn't heard. I maybe I heard one that song once before in my life sung live maybe and i wasn't too sure but i'm sure there's some people listening that hear that and recognize it and are like oh yeah yeah that's that old pat kennedy tune and if not man it's a good one it's a really good one i think but you know what bring that back yeah yeah you know what we're we're I, i think um one of the important things about this uh especially pat kennedy you know he was a a lot of people think of singing and and as a you know the as a form of art i guess i don't know i i i'm i'm kind of confused about this idea of art and native people my confusion well, l- hey, comes in I, okay i um luckily Interject. luckily i brought a, a feller today yeah that we probably bre- could help we us briefed, out we, we we prefaced him with a short introduction that probably um needs a little more yeah we don't do that though man we don't really no, we do don't that, like... nah that's uh, yeah this ain't, yeah, guys, this ain't we're a still, high school we're still land acknowledgement here <laughs> <laughs> no this is been waiting the... for that the whole time yeah, oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. ancestors well the land i'm sitting on i purchased so oh, oh. it's in fee status. So I'll acknowledge the state of Montana to which I pay my taxes. <laughs> I really, I literally thought you guys would have like a form that was a land oh, acknowledgement, like a proclamation. Yeah, come on, get on the ball, guys. I know we got to get trendy. Scroll. We got to get know. trendy. Um, no, that'll get we, you some no, points no, there. We, <laughs> Might get a that's, few that's more the reviews. coolest factor, isn't it? Isn't that the contemporary yes. indigenous cool factor? You follow yeah, the well, trends. You're right, man. It is that rhetoric. Since since yeah. you brought it up, Ben, what are some of the some of the um some of the trends you've been noticing? I mean, of course, land land acknowledgments. What's another like cool trendy mm. Indian thing? Oh man, most definitely the Indian hat. The Indian the red hat. hat. And I mean, obviously, we put feathers and beads on everything, you know, and most people around the world, as I've traveled, uh, they think natives are just beads and feathers, you know, and, and headdresses and moccasins, you know, rock your mocks. It was uh, November. Did you guys wear moccasins all month? No, 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 no. Um, it's a big negative. <laughs> I, um, I the, wear hardest of negatives. <laughs> the hardest of negatives. <laughs> I would have figured, Aaron, by now that that King Ropes hat. Would have been uh, adorned with a beautiful eagle spotted eagle tail feather there. No, like um, <laughs> uh, um, there used to be a guy named um, he had wore a big plume in his hat all the time. What was his name? God dang it, I forget now. But um, that's okay. It was a ball cap. Yeah. Is what I'm talking about. He wore a big plume in his hat, but it was a baseball. It was a ball cap. It wasn't like a. Did he wear it like on top? You know, like right to the little <clears throat> button on top or what? Ben and I are, are fairly close in age. So we came from a time in Crow where like 
denim jackets were kind of cool and like ribbon mm-hmm. shirts were, oh yeah were hot and um yeah uh what what else what else was there uh oh chevy blazers <laughs> <laughs> what you know the, the car you don't remember chevy like blazer car like the car? Ben, did you guys ever own a Chevy Blazer? Oh, you're talking about oh, a piece we never, of clothing. We, we owned a, a minivan, a little minivan that, that can, we called it. <laughs> the the can. can? Not a Blazer. Not the Blazer. There was Blazer. No, you're right. The everywhere. Chevy Blazer was popular, ain't it? Yeah, it was everywhere, man. Wasn't there like a Blazer 2 that was like a little mini version of a Blazer? Yeah, there was. There was, or there was. one driving around in Crow right now with no windows. <laughs> yeah, Just no zero place. windows. <laughs> It's all it's three it, wheels. It's solar power. <laughs> solar, oh, solar power. <laughs> <laughs> all right, all right. But yeah, definitely right. those those denim jackets are getting popular, right? I mean, yeah, that the yeah. pan Indianisms, you know, we're sort of expected of these things. We're imposed of these things, um, and if you don't uh, adhere, I suppose you're you're not as cool. You know, you don't you don't carry that coolness factor. So definitely, I agree there. Yeah. Ribbon shirts and ribbon skirts. Like yeah, said, so huh? in the in the one ep- in the episode in the past, I said uh, uh, what women are going through right now, Indian ladies going through right now with the ribbon sh- ribbon skirt, is what mm-hmm. young Indian boys were going through in the eighties and early nineties, maybe right. the late seventies. But the ribbon the ribbon shirt, I hated wearing the ribbon shirt. It like didn't fit exactly right. <laughs> oh, you know, it's no. kind of breezy. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> sometimes or those, those old threads are sticking, like scratch your back a little bit. Everyone knew that one guy that wore his ribbon shirt but never washed it, and like for every, it was just, oh man, oh yeah, it's like mustard stains all down the front, <laughs> <laughs> mustard from the summer lunch program. <laughs> I think oh, in the same way, if you don't like embrace these things, like I said, you're not as cool. But then I've seen a lot of other people use things like ribbon skirts and ribbon shirts and res hats and that indigenous aesthetic to sort of push people away or say that, hey, look at how how good I look, you know. But yeah, it's like I look more Indian than you. So I, I'm playing the part, so there, therefore, I am more Indian. My knowledge is is above yours. It's valued more. It weighs more. And I yeah. think that's that's us. Uh, it goes along the same lines as, as like infighting and things like that. I think you know it's it's dividing yeah. us, you know. But then I guess there's conversations around to what point do we as indigenous people, native people, or or our tribally specific people like Upsalaga or, or something like that, to what point do our does our aesthetic become a, a greater part of the visual language? within our communities, yeah. within the greater mainstream. So, I mean, there's, there's definitely conversations around that. So, yeah. Yeah. That's an important one, you know, that you see a lot and especially that thing you're talking about, about using uh, identity or knowledge as a commodity to elevate yourself ab- above someone else, you know, in, I, I don't know why that happens. I don't know why a, a tribe of people would want to, you know, be above someone else in their own tribe. It's it's really odd. Hmm. It doesn't align really with the values, you know, and maybe it's just humanness, maybe it's just the human flaw, but I think, you know, our, our uh, the, the old timers had a way of putting that kind of behavior in check. So it didn't, uh, it didn't grow, you know, 
I know there's You're talking uh, about like the the toxic tribalisms that are existing today within our communities and our yeah. uh, our communities within institutions, even. Yeah, yeah, for sure. It was like um, there's a story here um, during a, during a certain time period where there was uh, there was they started to get be there started to uh, be an excess of giving. You know, people were trying to outdo each other, give more and give more, and then it became this really contentious time period of of this overgiving and and i think the chiefs at that time then kind of banned it said okay no more we, we can't do this it's getting carried away because you're everybody's just trying to show off and and try to give more than the last person when that really wasn't the intent i think of that that uh that uh, thing they were doing but um, yeah most definitely you know, i mean maybe I, i've sort of seen things like that uh from where aaron and i grew up um yeah. with with giveaways and with uh weddings and um all sorts of things even even buying uh, cultural rights or giving them away um right sort of is that us absorbing the the culture of accumulation in which we live you know i don't know yeah you know i don't i don't um I think if you look at our, our, you know, the state we're in as a whole, you know, there's a lot of missing pieces and we've discussed these, uh, some of these things in depth and, uh, you know, the, one of the challenges then is to say, um, how do we put that in the hands of a, of a community of people to try to fix what are, what are some of the answers? And, you know, a lot of times just like addictions, you know, our, our tribal health systems, you know, they try to, try to find remedies to the drug problems and alcohol problems, but largely they're relying on, you know, a non-native approach, you know, they'll, they'll mm-hmm. try to stick a little bit of Indianness in it. You know, they'll have a, maybe a counseling room with a Pendleton or a Buffalo <laughs> skull. <laughs> Sandine, are you saying something that's totally controversial here? Are you saying that our institutions <laughs> can, can have addictions as well? <laughs> I think so, but I'm trying to say it really nicely in, in a way, in a way that yeah. is constructive, you know, like maybe mm-hmm. take that, uh, <laughs> take it as room for change and growth, you know, and mm-hmm. um, so I don't know, you know, I don't know if you, if you, uh, how much of that you experience in your, your profession, you know, the, mm-hmm. the things that you do. I mean, what do you see as some of the some of the strengths that you can see that need to grow versus the ugliness that that we I think we all can speak about. But what are some of the things that you see as a real positive in the work you do that we mm-hmm. can, uh, you know, foster in our communities? I definitely feel like uh, we as, as indigenous creatives, because we're not just artists, right? We're not just makers. We're not just yeah. painters or sculptors yeah. or weavers. Uh, we are creatives, right? We're creatives yeah. with our minds. We're creative with our words, with our with our presence within our families and communities. We have a presence yeah. within various um, social and nonprofit organizations. We be creative everywhere we are. Even you guys, as, as researchers, uh, yeah. you guys uh, find creative ways of of compiling information and uh, dispersing that information. Hmm. Um, because, well, like. As an artist, I, I, I'm speaking for what I know, but from what I see from you guys, you guys are in a lot of ways setting precedents 
for those generations to come, right? Uh, just like our grandmothers and grandfathers set precedents for us, they were to have, able to ask these yeah. questions that we're able to um, to make uh, more complex and yeah. more pertaining to to our existence in this place. But I think one of the important things that we can do as uh, creatives is focus on the positivity that comes out of our communities, not just the bad things like drugs and alcohol, not just um, yeah. the MMIW, MMIP uh, pandemic. It's, it's confronting our communities yeah. everywhere. Um, not just focusing on uh, broken treaties, you know, those, uh, not just focusing on the, the, the commonalities in Indian 101, you know, Mm-hmm. Because I think that because of if we focus too long on Indian 101 and the subjects surrounding that, uh, yeah. our thoughts aren't able to develop. You know, they're not able to further. Uh, they're yeah. not able to uh, steep. You know, and be more flavorful and, and deep and, and um, really affect us in the, in the long term. And so, yeah, I guess as artists and creatives, um, we have to think about our legacy too. You know, and I heard from Aaron. Yeah. Um, we had a talk a while back. He was talking about how crows know legacy, like a friend. You know, we've we've talked about legacy for years and years, for millennia, generations, and mm-hmm. thinking about what legacy means to uh, our our children in a hundred years, if if human kind mm. is still around. What is what we're doing as information? hoarders and distributors uh what is that going to mean to them you know how is our data used within our communities um yeah how how is it adulterated by other companies and other organizations other entities like the government how are how are um death rates especially confronting a global pandemic how are those things gonna the numbers of those how are those gonna affect us and how can that data be sold yeah. And bought, you know, and so I think we need to think more deep about what we're saying and what we're doing, and how we present ourselves, you know, not just for those for the outside people, not just for the the Western imposition of culture, you know. Because I, when I walk around, I'm definitely in culture shock. Say, like in Billings, you know, at uh, mm. at Shields, I'm in culture shock because I feel like everybody's looking at me, you know everybody's mm. looking at my two young boys with long braids you know everybody's looking at my mm. my wife my partner um sexualizing her romanticizing her mm. but maybe those are some of those uh cultural impositions that i put upon myself i don't know but right. uh i'm in the weeds i'm in a hole <laughs> call me alice down the rabbit hole here boy yeah boy yeah yeah uh you know you weren't in the weeds man well you know i sit at these these easels back here and i i don't have anybody to talk to in the studio it's a lonely place i have bananas uh (laughs) maybe she (laughs) my headphones but that's about it maybe you get a parrot Get a parrot (laughs) not even a real one get one of those mechanical ones yeah get that Bring that fish back. Bring the fish back. Oh, the fish. Yeah, yeah. He sings too. What does he sing? Oh man, sing something. Yeah. Entertainment <laughs> and philosophy there. Yeah. So, what yeah. kind of music you listen to while you do your art? What in, what inspires you? I know that's a dumb question, man. I 
Oh, Aaron, quit being dumb. I know. <laughs> it just was like, it just oh. was all deep talking about cultural impositions. What kind of music you listen to? <laughs> well, I'm curious. I'm curious because this is what okay, I okay, see. Okay. When I all look right. at Ben's art, and I'm I'm I will admit I'm very critical of Indian people in art. Mm-hmm. Uh, in fact, some might call me yeah, a downer, you know. Debbie. Yeah. Debbie. A Debbie Deb. Downer, uh, Debbie a Dion Downer, Deb, uh, Deb Bryn. <laughs> <laughs> but um, Ben's art, I, I have, I, I don't criticize it, man. I like it. I'm a fan. So I want to know. There's something different about it when I look at other native people's art and that's not, I'm not, sometimes I think Indians, when we give compliments to one person, people take that as a diss to everybody else. And I'm not saying that I'm just saying there seems to be something different about your art, Ben. So I want to, I'm trying to, I'm trying to tease out of you. Some of those, what are those things? Is it music? Is it, what is it that separates it? Yeah. Thank you for the, the coercion. Um, and, and the, the tickle. Well, that was meant but, to be a compliment, <laughs> not a <cool. laughs> No, I'm, I'm playing. I, I understand. The tickle. <laughs> that was a good tickle. That should be a shirt. Like, call this episode Thanks for the Tickle. <laughs> oh, okay. now I'm getting butterflies. Yeah. Get now, tickled by Ben. I, I just <laughs> okay. turned off. I said, hey, Siri, stop. Oh, she, she might listen. But um, I, I was playing uh, Tupac. I was listening to uh, Dear Mama. I was listening to Apple Music's Tupac station. It was just rolling. But before that, I was listening to uh, Ludovico Einaudi. Before that, I was listening to um, I just it, everywhere. It's literally everywhere. I listen. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was listening to British hip hop the other day. You know, um, classic rock. Um, mm. You're as cold as ice. <laughs> um, <laughs> what is it, music? Is music something that kind of fills the air and kind of just gets the juices flowing, or does it? Do you think it actually has an effect on how your art turns out? Actually, I don't usually listen to music when I work. I'm usually in complete silence or. I'm listening to a book or a podcast um, and your mm. podcast being one of those. Uh, so mm. uh, put that in your yes. hat put, and uh, you know, it's, it's really not something that, that influences the work that I'm making because uh, I don't know. I think it's, it's just the work that comes from not only my hand, but all the way from my nose back behind my eyes there. Um, mm. Obviously I'm, influenced by culture right there's an obvious influence there and i paint a lot of different things but what one of the most things that i paint one of the things that i paint most are portraits right portraiture Mm -hmm. of our people uh from a historical sense so like Mm -hmm. uh, we were talking before the podcast i was talking about those those uh, leaders and those head people from the era the transition era and what I think and what I term it to be the area of transition and of the Crow tribe, people like mm. Plenty Coup and Two Leggings and Pretty Eagle and Medicine Crow. Um, I've got a Medicine Crow painting over here right now, just right next to me. Um, and so I start to think about why am I painting my culture? You know, what are these questions that mm. arise 
that that really inspire me or make me do it and why do i as an artist why do i have to paint my culture why do i have to paint indians you know um and i don't have a real answer for that a lot of times mm. i'm just going against western culture and western art in itself uh for example i i made a painting last year it was titled um uh indians on horses in their natural habitat and this painting mm. was uh an oil painting a traditional oil painting in a nice large gold gilded gaudy frame right mm. um that was antique and i bought the painting and the frame at an antique store right when this painting was made by a western artist uh whose name i won't i won't shout out right now but uh it seemed what for for his whole career he painted indians you know natives portraits mm. and he made a living off of it right uh and he he profited off of that for his, his whole career mm. it seemed like and so i bought mm. one of his paintings and i i made my own painting on his painting but all i did was yeah. i painted letters english letters and i said mm. indians on horses in their natural habitat because as i go to these western art shows at these western art galleries and and um expositions and exhibitions and things like that that's what i see non native western mm. artists painting indians in their natural habitat right indians on horses in the river indians on horses yeah. by the cliff you know yeah. indians on horses in the forest you know and etc so on and so forth bucks indian bucks <laughs> <laughs> and it just keeps going so um sometimes it's something that i paint because it's it's inspired by my family i do collaboration with my grandmother who's been a uh one of the most active photographers on the Crow Indian Reservation for the last uh, 65 mm. years and she's now 96 and so an avid re real to real recorder right doesn't she yeah. have a whole bunch of real to reels she has some real to reels and she has a whole uh closet full of boxes of slides that haven't been printed and so one of my big wow. projects for this coming year is to scan all those and uh really looking forward to what's going to come out of those because there's she spent a lot of time with these elders right or these people that we say are elders those were her contemporaries and she spent a lot of time with her elders and my grandfather's mm. elders so uh and then my work is obviously inspired by uh i don't even know a term for it but a contemporary indigeneity i guess is a, is a mm. is a good word for that hey uh I heard a guy yeah. he he trademarked indigeneity and he bought the domain name. Can you do that? Yeah, I think so. Did <laughs> <laughs> it? He did. Yeah, you do whatever you want, man. I guess. Yeah. And so could you in fact trademark LT? Uh-oh. I know what you're doing. I know what you're doing right now. <laughs> uh -oh. Aaron, uh -oh. I've got a question yeah. for you. Uh-oh. This is going. <laughs> This is uh, a good one. Yeah. I I I contemplated bringing this up. Yeah. And so it goes along with it goes along with something interesting that you said, you know, in in uh and I think, you know, in the uh, Indians are all, all in a way some uh some form of artist. I'm I'm convinced of it, you know, mm -hmm. in whatever manner it is, but because we, I I think and then I know a lot of humans we use different parts of our brain, you know, but I think that uh that artistic side of us allows us to express things that uh maybe uh you know western civilization does not think of anymore you know like expressing mm -hmm. research 
artistically that's something that we 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 contemplate a lot when we're thinking of how mm -hmm. to approach a research angle but it's this okay so it's this you said something about you know um this this state we're in you know things have to look indian and in a way you know we're trying to reach back into the past and represent some portion of ourselves from a period that's not today in a way mm -hmm. and you know so we've gone through all these different stages of of um of, of advancement or change i guess you could say you know some tribes had to migrate to certain places and adapt to the environment then the horse came and then the gun you know and then the reservation mm -hmm. period self-determination and so my big question is you know what's what's next for us what what do we have that's next and i think you kind of you spoke to that just briefly just now when you said that idea you know we're kind of at this really weird transition where now we're trying to take ownership of things but maybe in the wrong way maybe in the mm -hmm. wrong way and that's what that's where I, I i try to evaluate just like aaron said try to evaluate art and say well what what is the point you know what are, what are we trying to do what are we trying to say what does this say about me about us so all of our actions and this idea of uh copywriting parts of our culture so that it can Most be ours yeah. yeah well Western ideology as, as an institution, right? I talked about earlier is it, it's imposing upon us certain ideas and beliefs. Mm -hmm. And one of those, I think, to be uh, a romanticization of our own people. We look mm -hmm. back our, at, at the old ones and we romanticize them. We look back mm -hmm. and we want to be in that time. You know, we want to sing those songs. We want to have the knowledge that they had because we place value there. We put weight on that, right? Mm -hmm. And I think it, it, like you were just saying, we, we try to find ways to own our culture. And today in 2020, we, we live in a goddamn future. Excuse my, my absolga, yeah. but we live in a goddamn future, <laughs> you know? And yeah. uh, it's quite literally an age of data, right? Mm -hmm. And so we're trying to think about things like copywriting. We're trying to think about things like trademarking. And we're trying to protect mm -hmm. our knowledge, our aesthetic, our creativity. We're trying to put up a wall to keep people away uh, due to cultural boundaries, you know, due to cultural mannerisms, I think. We're trying mm. to protect ourselves, right? Um, but is it right if we're thinking about intellectual property in a digital age uh, to compare that to cultural property and cultural copyright? If there ever was a thing, I would advocate for it. But that's, that is a subject that lives in the weeds, you know. I think in a past <laughs> yeah. podcast, Aaron said it's trying to see the deer in the forest, right? Is that what you said, Aaron? I, I probably did. I, I, I Forgive me. I don't know. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I went black. We'll say he I said that. Out. I don't yeah. remember. <clears throat> uh, so <laughs> we're, trying to, we're trying to protect this information just like you guys are as, as researchers and educators, right? You have ways and you're trying to find new ways of finding information, cataloging it, dispersing and protecting it. Um, just as I'm trying yeah. to do as an artist and a lot of artists call themselves storytellers, right? Um, yeah. And that's that's hit or miss for a lot of different artists and a lot of different creatives, but what are we supposed to do if we don't follow the, the I guess the, the methodologies that are set out in front of us in mm. copywriting our artwork, you know, so that, yeah. um, Companies across the U.S. and Canada, and even into China, can't 
copy and paste your image and put it on a on a plush blanket and you then buy it at a power <laughs> you know and the long way around uh, i've seen I was that happen to my friends <laughs> oh really know, man. You've, you've seen that happen you've seen that happen who are you talking to? She sold outside the road by a gas station. <laughs> right. Yeah, right next to the Trump 2020 hats. Right. On those <laughs> yeah. aluminum frames and stuff. Uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. All but that's actually happened to a lot of my friends. A lot of my, I would call them my colleagues. Their work has been stolen yeah. straight off of their yeah. website, straight off of Facebook. And uh, I don't know if you would use the word appropriated, but it was stolen and changed yeah. its use you know so so yeah since you brought it up um one of the ways to protect stolen materials is to copyright it trademark it and it mm-hmm. allows for some protections of it um and since you brought it up i mean the elk, elk teeth print was copyrighted mm-hmm. so where does uh i'm not I'm not saying like that was wrong. I'm not saying it was right. I'm just saying, where does that end and where does that begin? Because for example, um, let's just kind of, to be safe, we'll attack something you did. Um, like some work, maybe you, <laughs> well, you, you, whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> no, no I'm saying, I'm saying like, uh, you've painted, you've painted pictures of Crow Indians, right? Yeah. What's the most recent one? I think a two leggings one, right. Or something. I have one on the easel right now. It's of Medicine Crow. So Medicine Crow. Hmm. Um, During delegation. Hmm. So in a sense, I mean, in terms of cultural copyright, like is that something you get permission from the family to say, hey, can I paint a picture of Medicine Crow? Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like I'm, I, I, I guess I'm, I'm just broaching the question of, that's an individual. What we're actually talking about is is a is a cultural component. Like a, a an elk tooth is something not only crows use, but so many tribes used it to mm-hmm. show status. And and I mean, I guess crows kind mm-hmm. of made it popular contemporary. But we there's evidence that a lot of tribes use them. So, right. What are you What are your thoughts on that? Well, this is a subject I think that that hasn't really ever been discussed at a high level. And I'm not saying I'm going to be able to discuss it at that high level. But this is something that that we're trying to learn. And like I said earlier, we're trying to build precedence. And so finding ways to paint pictures of our ancestors, our our past leaders, it's a a touchy subject. Because, well, for example, I did a a mural in uh, Lodgegrass, right? Lodgegrass, Montana. Um, in the wake of a, a triple homicide, it was a police-involved killing, um, influenced mm. by drugs and alcohol, and the community was hurting, right? And so I collaborated with uh, two different organizations, and we put this mural up of uh, the late Dr. Joe Medicine Crow, Grandpa Joe. You know, I grew mm. up around him. You know, I have a lot of memories. I have a lot of um, information that he shared with me and, and, and my family. And... Um, we put the mural up and we did what is, I think I, I term as a community collaboration. So we used his likeness, his image on the wall. And then people mm. from the community came and they put their handprints and they helped me paint this whole mural, sort of uh, mm. thinking about artwork as healing, right? Yeah. And at the bottom, um, that we used the tagline resilient. 
because we try to we try to convey the sense that we're resilient people that we can bounce back and uh we had sort of we had feeds pre-covid you know we had a feed we had a a storytelling we had a non-denominational prayer circle for anybody who wanted to come pray or just even hear prayers you know uh Mm. because the people were scared and people were hurting um but after the fact uh a young lady who who i guess i won't call out she's an artist of the medicine crow family uh, she reached out to me and she said that i was using his likeness uh for profit for Mm. uh, fame for the gain Mm. of fame when that something like that that thought had never crossed my mind Uh, but Mm. painting a mural with the community is a lot different than painting a portrait of two leggings something like that you know yeah yeah and i've i have asked families for permission um but then again maybe somebody else in the family doesn't really agree you know and are they wrong i don't think so uh yeah there's there's a lot there for me anyways I, hmm. I I try to read as much as I can. I try to talk to as many different people as I can, but we're losing people, right? Just like you guys know, yeah. both of your communities, respective communities, we're losing people. We've just lost uh, five more of our, our knowledge keepers just recently hmm. and, and from where Aaron and I are from. And uh, it's tough, hmm. you know? Yeah. But if we are thinking about intellectual property as cultural property and protecting that in more of a mainstream uh, viewfinder, I guess, because mm-hmm. if you're exposing your work and your, your imagery that you create to a broad audience, there's obviously mm-hmm. going to be more chance for it to be taken and stolen and, and misused and appropriated. Right. And so how do you mm-hmm. protect that in, in, a, in a world full of legal battles? Right. Yeah. You have to you have to follow the the, the methods that were laid out, right? In a, in a legal standpoint. So, do you think that was the intent? The intent wasn't to exclude native people, but really to protect it from non-native people. I can't say if 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 that was, but uh, I want you to. I though. would hope that would. I would hope that to be, you know. <laughs> I you want know? you to. <laughs> I want you to. <laughs> I, that's yeah. that's pretty so, interesting, you know. Yeah, what you know, it it comes down to also like um like information, you know, if somebody shares something with you, when does it become your knowledge? You know, we we we're at that mm-hmm. point now where where we we want to we want to individualize knowledge, you know, and it's like likeness of things, you know, the same way with the the pattern of a or a design. You know, when, when, what, what, at what point do Indians say, okay, this is mine now, rather than this is ours and I'm going to, mm-hmm. I'm going to copyright it as mine. And I, and I think that, yeah, it's just a, it's kind of a tough one because we, we, we can run into that too with, with, um, you know, things like, uh, ecological knowledge. You know, if, if mm-hmm. one of my relatives tells me something, and I embody that and embrace that knowledge and, you know, does it become mine or do I just, am I just a holder of that knowledge at what point when I have to maybe perhaps publish something about that, do I have to always attribute that back to some person or something, or when does it just mm-hmm. become a common knowledge that I hold as, as 
not as my own, but as from my people. Mm-hmm. Most definitely. Well, one of the things that I'm, I'm scared of, I'm terrified, you know, I, I'm statuesque thinking about this, you know, mm. I'm thinking about how to try to stay away from becoming a cultural profiteer. And maybe that's right. another one of those Western impositions uh, coming from my insecurities. You know, the things yeah. that I don't know, maybe I'm scared of the unknown. Maybe it's, I don't feel like my knowledge is good enough, but you know, we have to mm. be, we have to believe in ourselves and believe that our knowledge is valuable as individuals, as, as um, educators, as uh, speakers, as creative people. Yeah. But we have to also recognize the way that culture evolves, right? Yeah. Because a lot of people would say that our culture is dying, right? We're losing our language, you know, we're losing our songs, our designs, you know, things like mm. that. We're losing our ceremonies. But in a lot of ways, it is dying. That knowledge is, is leaving us. Um, mm. But in a lot of ways, a lot of other ways, it's evolving and changing because I see culture as an organism. And what does evolution evoke? What does that relate to, right? It relates to an organism. As it right. moves and melds, right, changes. Our cultures are always in flux, and our cultural protocols and mannerisms—they're really, really individualized, and those mm. change all the time too. You know, when yeah. did when did uh, tobacco move to marbles, right? When did uh, traditional uh, <laughs> yeah. tobacco change into uh, what's up, pack? I had a pack here. I was doing a, uh, those uh, natural. Cigarettes. Oh, here it is. Oh, American, American Spirit. Yeah. yeah, yeah. American Spirits. Yeah, yeah. I was doing a, a still life of these. When did uh, <laughs> it change to give these out? And then here, real sacred like, here, I'll give you a prayer, you know. <laughs> yeah. like yeah. you know here's a blessing for you. It yeah, also yeah. has a filter on it to protect your lungs, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Not only, am I, not only am I praying for you, but I'm watching out I'm for you. Looking out for you. Yeah, with this filter. <laughs> These things change, right? I mean, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and what are they going to look like in fifty to hundred years, even more? Yeah, than that, you know. That's We're the on a interesting podcast thing. talking about culture when we should be sitting in a teepee by a fire. You know, the hell's the matter with you guys? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but look behind me, guys. I yeah. mean, we're on Zoom and you guys have camera on me, but I'm sitting in front of two oil paintings, right? Mm. And what is oil painting in the in the in the history of the West? What is it? I don't know. What what are you, you getting got at? me there? What are you getting at? I thought I'd I thought I'd uh, stretch you guys' uh Charles Russell. You guys' uh Charles Russell, yeah. And what did he do? What did he paint? Well yeah, he's painting Indians and horses. Yeah, and <laughs> and cowboys. But he had he had complex relationships with tribal yeah. people, right? Tribal individuals. Did. Yeah. And uh uh but I think that oil painting has, has been one of those cornerstones of Western society, you know, one of those um, right. marketing tools that is sort of advanced with fire, you know. Right. Um, we think about paintings of, of Bierstadt and Charles Russell, you know, we think of all kinds of these these Western um, painters that didn't always exactly tell the truth, and yet yeah, they it was marketed like it was the truth. You know, this is this is a, a uninhabited land that is yours, prime for the taking, right? 
come and take this land. You know, there's, there's nothing here. There's nobody that lives here, but the animals in the land. Mm. And, and ultimately natives at that time of the time of a uh, Westward expansion, I feel like people thought natives were even under the animals, even under the land. Yeah. Um, not even tenants of it, you know, ultra ultimately um, subservient and, and less human than non-native peoples. Yeah. Than the, the, the newcomers, right? The westward expanders, I'll say. Yeah. Is that a new term? Westward expanders? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of elementary and rudimentary term, but these, I don't know. Zan, plus Andy's western expanders, Zan. <laughs> they just do that and they, then they do <laughs> well let's take a little breather here for a second and then uh we'll get we'll get back into it because i got uh, i have a, a smoke if you got them. questions yeah smoke your uh smoke your um american, american spirits make sure you sit on the floor on a blanket though when you do that and face the west oh no the east face the east Face the east or face the sun as it goes across the sky. Face the sun. Yeah, yes. go with it. Go with it. Go with <laughs> it. Yeah. Face the Elon Musk satellites. Oh. <laughs> All right. So we've got this uh, gallery again. WYLD, Wild Gallery in Austin, Texas. And again, now, this guy features some exclusive art created by uh, some well-known Native American artists, which include some original and one-of-a-kind artwork. But there's also um, other items like prints and posters. And a lot of this stuff is pretty reasonably priced. And, um, you know, in this uh, online shopping world, you know, you can easily get any of these items shipped out to you. You know, it'd, be it'd make some great uh, Christmas presents. And, um, you know, it just helps out uh, the, the artists that uh, that the Wild Gallery features. And, you know, art is um, art is something that uh, I think we all need in our in our lives. As we've discussed here and we've just discussed throughout our podcast. So um, go on over to uh, WYLD.gallery to the Wild Gallery there in Austin, Texas and uh Maybe you can find something, a uh, nice little Christmas present for your loved ones. But um, yeah, man, think about going out and visiting that uh, website. That was another tune that comes off of this uh, this um, unknown reel to reel. I think it's um, it was marked with some folks that were singing on there. Um, 
last name of uh let's see if i can remember i think there was a no runner on there there was a a born maybe a larry born jason born <laughs> matt damon N- not matt damon matt, i mean matt damon might be a time traveler <laughs> i don't know but I'll, I'll throw this up in the show notes what was listed on there but i i don't i, I would hope somebody listening would know and say oh yeah that's a." Uh, I know where that song comes from, but, um, um, yeah, you know, one of the important things that we're, um, I guess we're all kind of engaged in at certain points in our lives. And I guess as we get older, we start thinking about it more and, uh, you know, in English, they call it the, you know, the philosophy of, a of, a people, you know, we start contemplating things the uh, morality and what's right what's wrong kind of what the what are these stories we hear how do they shape what we do and how we know things or our ceremonial ways you know we start thinking deeply about all those things and i'm curious you know because i know um art has a has a different way of expressing all these kind of things that you know, we, we try to capture in the English language, but I really think that symbolism and symbology can really capture a lot of, of the way that Indians think and the way we believe better than, you know, even a multi-volume book could. Um, so I'm wondering, you know, the, the work that you do as an artist, as a creator of things, how, how, do, you, how do you see that, how do you see your work uh, advancing kind of the way we think, kind of the way we, we, we operate really in this kind of changing world that we're, we're experiencing? Well, that's a big question, and uh, I'm not prepared to answer it because I just make the paintings. <laughs> <You know? laughs> that's, a, that's the coolest response. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I just paint it. <laughs> that brings uh, then I, go ahead, Aaron. Well, I was going to say that might bring up a good point, though. Are we just simply overthinking this stuff, too? Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like like someone like like pop. I like pop. People ask me, why do you still drink pop? The only answer is because it's good. Because mm-hmm. <laughs> I like it. <laughs> it makes me feel like a champion. Yeah, man. I love it. It's good. Now, yeah. move on. Yeah, yeah. The, the, Let's move the class, on to something cool. The classic example of that, you know, that overthinking is that scene in Dances with Wolves, you know, when the kicking bird is sitting in the field of grass, you know, and they got him really contemplating his this look, this pensive look on his face, and he's the, the thousand mile hand. look. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The the John Stiffarm thousand mile look. And, he, <laughs> <laughs> and he's rubbing the grass, you know, like what is he doing? What is that all about? You know? And that's that's that romanticism, you know, that we think about. And uh we always have to be cautious of that, I guess. At least mm-hmm. I am, you know, I, I want to well, know. You have to be. Yeah. I, I think Are you, we the you only group of people be. that have to worry about that? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. We're well, as an Indian artist, as a native artist, when I go to certain art shows, I literally have to show them my pedigree. They're like a oh. horse entering into a, a race or yeah. a dog, you know? <laughs> yeah. I mean, blood yeah. quantum, that's one of the things that was designed to eventually divide us, right? 
But as as a secondary culture learner, I think that uh, in my awakening, let's take this back, back in time here. All right. Uh, My awakening, I guess my coming to wasn't until uh, my wife and I decided to to build a family. And I left my senior year of football in North Dakota, right? Mm -hmm. And I came to Bozeman, Montana. I went to Bozeman, Montana to continue my art degree, right? And so I didn't know anything really about tribal jurisdictions. I didn't know anything about federal Indian law. You know, I didn't know anything mm-hmm. about anything. You know, I was just a res boy who mm-hmm. went to college and was a, uh, a partier, you know, and uh, mm-hmm. a football player, a college jock. And I had yeah. to learn these things. You know, I had to learn about racism. I had to learn about colonization and assimilation. And mm. I didn't know it was any different from what I had heard from uh, my family, you know, my aunts, my uncles, my grandpas, my grandmas. Mm. And I, I think personally as an artist, I developed this, uh, I, I said earlier, like this uh, pan-Indigenous rhetoric that is just repeated, you know, and, and repeated and repeated. And it sort of, it echoes everywhere in our communities. And because I, I saw a cool factor there, I wanted to replicate that, you know. Mm. And really, I guess there was pressure to be native and almost to a detriment, you know. Right. Pressure to be more native than I, I actually had grown up to be, more pan-Indigenous than I had actually grown up to be, than I'd seen in my community, you know. Mm. Um, outside of sweat, outside of Sundance, outside of prayer, outside of helping people go fast and you know, outside of being on the land or outside of running on the dirt roads, hooky bobbing at Cove Ferry, you know? Mm-hmm. And uh, once I started learning that in Bozeman, I started to view my people differently, right? Mm. Because of Bozeman's probably 90, 98, 99% white, right? Mm-hmm. And my paintings were selling, you know, is uh, a chief with a headdress on, right? Sell. Yeah. Paint it, sell it, paint it, sell it, paint it, sell it. Continuous. It was cyclical. And I started to realize, I think, what I was doing. I I was only perpetuating those modes and methods. And I felt bad about it. And I feel bad about it. But as an artist, you grow, right? As somebody with ideas, ultimately, in time, your ideas are able to develop. You know, like a photograph in a dark room. You give it time, it only gets better, right? You do, you take the right processes, right steps, they get better. They yeah. get more contextualized, they get deeper, you know? And so I think that's what's sort of happening with my work. At least I hope it's happening. You know, I, I hope it's developing to yeah. where I can be proud of it in 10 years. Because right now I look back on my work 10 years ago, that's when I basically first started painting. I'm so embarrassed by that work, you know? <laughs> it makes me cringe. You know, the yeah. hell was I thinking? You know, where was my head? I was so simple, yeah. you know. But mm. in 10 years, I hope I'm not like that, but I probably will be, you know. Um, so I think because of that, like learning and, and absorbing this this pan-Indianism, you start to set really unrealistic goals for yourself. And then you start to impose those goals on others, those beliefs on others. Yeah, to where they yeah. become confused and they, I think they start to instigate 
um, other confrontations and other ways with others. And I think it turns into so, sort of this, uh, um, like a frenzied culturalism. Hmm. It moves and it doesn't know what to do or where to go or how to form itself. And, and nobody really has a way of knowing or a way of doing that. That's, it's really concrete and positive, you know, hmm. um, nobody really knows how to work with efficacy with mm. this frenzied culturalism you know everybody's losing their minds about it, how to be indigenous and how to be native i think i was uh, <laughs> why so serious you know but i think i was talking one time about similar things like this and i had this old timer come up to me after and i think it was at the museum of the rockies i was giving a talk on um, diversity and uh, creativity and the power of imagery mm. and i think after that this this uh, elder he came up to me and he said, uh, stop trying to be indigenous and just be, just mm. be. And that, yeah. that, that line went a long way with me and I'm trying to just, just be, I'm trying to stop letting Facebook and Instagram, social media, all yeah. of these, these movements with uh, these, these commonalities and in, in, uh, in the words that they use, in the, the imagery that they use, you know, um, trying to not let that influence my work or my thoughts or my ideas or my yeah. philosophies. So I don't know, you know, I think it's that frenzied culturalism is another one of those demons of the West. If you feel me. Yeah. I think it, it hurts us in a lot of ways and it makes us hurt each other. And then it pushes oh, yeah. us away, you know, and it's it's part of that overcompensation that you guys were talking about. You know, I want to be more indigenous, more Indian. So I'm going to do all these different things. You know, I'm just going to keep painting Indians with headdresses because they sell. Because yeah. I can make a living for my family, a viable living, right? Because yeah. I can put food on the table. I can take a week off to just go be on the land, you know, uh -huh. go hunt. And yeah. uh is that right? Is that wrong? You know, is, is being a cultural profiteer in 2020, is that right or is it wrong? As artists, I think that's what we are hmm. in a lot of different ways, whether no matter which way you try to paint it, pun intended. I think <laughs> even researchers and yeah. scientists, Oh yeah. I think even, even people like that can be cultural profiteers because we all make a living off of this stuff, right? Oh, yeah. Mm. Oh, yeah. So I think I have questions. I don't think I have a lot of answers, but I think if you start asking questions, ultimately you'll come to a point where you weren't before. And I think, I hope at least it's above that last point. So well, hopefully that's what this podcast becomes is I don't think we have the answers to any of this stuff, you know, the truth, mm. it, but I think we're, I don't know of a lot of people who are willing to like publicly on a public forum, admit like they don't know what they're doing, you know, and that's the truth. Like I, I don't, I, I thought I knew what I was doing when it came to research, when it came to, and the truth is, is like, man, like we, we have those same problems, you know, the same, mm -hmm. those same things are like, what comes first, the, the quality of research is based on the intent of the research, or mm -hmm. is it just cause it's a job and it can get me some money. Yeah. And man, well, and I do notice I've taken jobs before because I needed it. So I needed the money. So I was like, all right, I'll do this. And I noticed the quality's different, man. And it's mm -hmm. just, that's just 
reality. I'm not so proud of it. It's not something I really want out there. Um, but I, I notice like, as long as I stay as culturally connected as possible, the quality of work, it's, it's there. Mm-hmm. Even, even if it's not like grammatically good or if it's not organizationally good, like the content is always good, you know, and I'm always kind of proud of that. So maybe that's kind of the thing with art is like, as long as you maintain your authentic connection to culture, it really doesn't matter what's next that art the art's gonna be there you know the work's gonna Mm -hmm. be good and one thing about your work is it seems that you're not afraid to kind of stretch your own artistic boundaries you know so -hmm. you're not just stuck in the like indian woman and maiden paintings you know like you're Mm -hmm. doing other stuff like like the thing you did for that the cover uh of the of the women and warriors book Mm -hmm. i guess it was it wasn't a painting it was an actual thing that I'm not an artist. I didn't completely like get it, but it was badass. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean? And sometimes that's all it is, man. That's that's all it is. It's like, is it cool? Yeah, man, it's cool. Don't overthink it. Like it's definitely. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. Every, I mean the, the everything has to have of ideas, right? Yeah. A lot of times yeah. we get we become a spouse to our ideas. And, and we can't move past those, you know, because that's what we expect of ourselves and that's what's expected of us, right? And we're mm-hmm. not able to grow beyond that, you know? We're not able to be complex human beings because we're stuck on things like Indian one-on-one. And yeah. I think if, if I think about cultural adaptation, cultural evolution as an, as an organism, like you said earlier, Shandine, we, um, horses, right? Bows and arrows for the yeah. crows, headdresses in the mid-1800s, right? And uh, basketball, you know, Buicks, cowboy hats, you know, <laughs> Christianity. Yeah. We make things our own and we move on, you know? So, yeah, I don't yeah. know, you know, it's I'll, that shield, the shield that I made for the cover of the, the Salagat Women and Warriors. Uh, was inspired by stories I'd heard from my grandfather growing up. It was inspired by um, designs that I'd seen researching in in books and archives, right? It was also inspired by Mm -hmm. uh, Grant Putel, who sang a song for me, and Aaron in the collections Mm -hmm. at the Field Museum, and who allowed me to use that recording in the creation of the shield. And... Mm -hmm. uh, is also based off of some of these cultural rights that I carry. But I think I have questions around how I, how we create things, whether you're an artist or an educator or somewhere in between. I have yeah. questions about how you create things as a cultural individual, you know, because I've had dreams of, of artworks where I got up and, and I made that actual piece. I saw it in a dream and mm. I woke up and I did it. Now, yeah. I think in technical sense, I think that's called... Uh, prophetic art right and is that different than something where somebody goes without water you know for Mm. for a period of time is that different it's it obviously Mm. definitely has a different context because you know i drive a brand new ford pickup truck i have an iphone one of the most powerful tools in the world you know i I, Mm. i live in billings montana you know i'm wearing nike shoes you know Mm-hmm. But 
we evolve and we change, you know, and do my dreams, do I put more value on them or less value on them than, than the dreams of my grandmothers and grandfathers? Mm. And do you, do you put mm. more value on your dreams or less than those people we come from? Well, I mm. think you, we tend to probably put less, right? Mm-hmm. Because those people were humans, right? We tend to deify yeah. those people, don't we? Yeah. Oh, right? yeah they they laughed. They had anger yeah. issues. You know, they. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. To be yeah. honest, they're human they're beings. They're actually they the cause. They're the cause of all of our dysfunction. <laughs> <laughs> Damn you guys. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I always seem that there's a Wanamaker <laughs> film out there, Rodman Wanamaker, who came to uh, Montana to film a lot of tribes he films a uh, medicine crow white man runs him and um mm. uh i think it's harry moccasin there they're smoking, they're smoking a, pipe. a pipe yeah and he hits do you yeah. see it when he hits it he hits mm-hmm. the pipe bowl yeah yeah so one of them smoking <laughs> the pipe and he like it's real fast he goes boom he hits the pipe bowl and then they all kind of laugh you know but <laughs> when i first seen that i was like whoa first i thought it was staged Cause my, my brain was trained to think like, man, they're smoking a pipe. Shut up. You know, everything back then was staged. If it was being photographed. Right. Yeah. Right, yeah. And so then I thought, then I thought <laughs> they wouldn't even know, like the it, film was so new that they don't have the concept of like, Oh, I can, people are going to see this and laugh. I'm going to make people laugh or, you know, like this, it was just like an instinct. It was, you just wanted to tease him and he did it, man. Mm-hmm. It was yeah, funny. Right. So then I thought like, these are real. That was like one of the f- first times I thought these are real people, man. We think mm-hmm. of them as something mm-hmm. else, but these are real dudes and they're just funny and they're crazy. They have flaws. Um, they talk smack and they steal each other's wives and uh, <laughs> right. they have issues, you know? Yeah. Good and bad. They have issues. Which right, over time makes me admire these people more, you know. Yeah, we admire them, and like I said, even to even to a crux, you know, to where we deify them and we romanticize them, and then we want to be like them, you know, because in my paintings, in my art shows, I'm pigeonholed, and the question always becomes, what came first, right, the pigeon or the egg? Mm. Um, I'm put in I'm put into these boxes where a lot of times it's, it's almost impossible to get out. And then you're stuck painting the same thing for decades and decades. Did you just and say the pigeon or the egg? That's right. I never heard that before. <laughs> what no, came I just first? came up with it. Dang. Look at you, Ben. <laughs> you're on fire. What came first? The pigeon or the egg? It still works because it's a bird, man. It lays eggs. I'm on fire. I mean, you you got some hot rocks. You could say platypus. Uh, I know, yeah. Platypus at an egg. <laughs> Are you talking oh, about so, monotremes now? <laughs> yeah. Don't bring monotremes yeah. into this. Yeah. <laughs> They're like the unicorns of the world. Come on. <laughs> uh, it used to be so simple, you know, you know, in the 80s. All you had to do is just wear a Pendleton vest and you, you were Indian, man. You got it. That's so complicated. <laughs> talking about you <laughs> kind of investing, but you know, man, I know it's weird because yeah. then 
you dress Indian, then you're in, you're you're like, are you Indian? And then if you don't well, dress that you, way, then people question you. If yeah. you dress more Indian, you yeah. feel more Indian. Then you you talk more Indian, you act more Indian. I think yeah. it's yeah. it all comes with the image, you know. If I wear yeah. a res hat plus feather plus Pendleton vest to an art show, I might sing a song. <laughs> Someone's, someone's getting a name. Someone is getting, getting a name. Give a name away. You know, you, you had to do an name. experiment. You get a name. Yeah, you we do should an experiment. Do you know, raffle. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> How Indian is that? That's like Indian people yeah. love raffles. Board, do a board. split the yeah, pot. Yeah. You know, like, like an, um, an Indian starter pack with like those braids you wear. If you don't have braids to start with to dance, you, you wear fake oh, yeah. braids that are yeah, like yeah. acrylic hair or something. Or yeah. Indian starter pack braids, res hat, turkey feather, you know, what else? <laughs> yeah. uh, belt buckle, <laughs> uh, wranglers, tight yeah. wranglers. So, so when I think when I think of an Indian man, like honestly, in my brain, there it's like a conflict because I have like the movie version. And then I have what my upbringing was, which was typically a pearl snap Western shirt with Western those shirt polyester pants. Wrangler pants. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Remember those polyester Wrangler pants? And the crease down hat. the front, all those old timers. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Down the front. Blades, oh, yeah. Like, man. Blades. Uh, like a taco. Woo. <laughs> Sharp. Tight. Woo. Tight pattern. Tight. About yeah. So this is, what, this, this is what I want to see. This is what I want to see because I want to see how much. Your your own image affects what you create. You gotta do this. You gotta dress mm. up all fancy one day, you know, the res hat, the beadwork, and paint something. Gotta, See what gotta comes buy out. One first. Yeah, yeah. And then move up to the 80s where there's no beadwork. It's just Pendleton. It's just Pendleton. It's just the, um ribbon shirts. Yeah, just ribbon shirts with like, like an ankle pin. But oh, yeah. mid nineties, yeah, yeah. ribbon shirt and fubus and and jinkos, uh, <laughs> white Nikes, Jinkos. black Nikes, jinkos, <laughs> yeah. yeah. some jinkos. You had some. See Jinkos, what comes out. Huh? See what comes out. It, I'll do that. <laughs> I want to so see that. Performative. But yeah, there you go. Nineteen ninety-seven. What the crow kid was wearing was silver tab jeans, Ooh. yeah, a white t-shirt and aspen cologne. <laughs> crow, crows. That was like. Are you talking thing. about yourself, Aaron? Dude, crows love Aspen. Well, there used to be a store in the mall called Jeans West. Oh yeah. And like, <laughs> you could walk in the mall, and there'd be thirty high crow high school kids in there buying silver tabs. <laughs> Doc Martin. I was only eight years old. Okay. In '97. <laughs> when were you I was born? born? In '89. God, Actually, we God. never did do a, an introduction. I'm Ben Pease. I'm an artist. I do paintings <laughs> and stuff. I was born 1989. I'm a big lodge, child of big lodge. Um, Crow and Cheyenne, so I'm a walking contradiction. You know, kind of like those Starbursts that have two flavors. That's, that's messed me. up. Those star- that's just, why did they even do that? Uh, two flavors in a Starburst. This is... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So, so cool. Ben, you grew up in Lodgegrass, though, right? I grew up in Lodgegrass. I grew up in Billings, Hardin, Phoenix. Uh, mm. Yeah, graduated Wait, high school from Hardin. A lot of that was because your mother was an educator? Yeah. 
educator and then she worked in museum studies for a while. Yeah. And her herself was an artist for a while. Mm, That's right. Right? She was. And has recently kind of kicked back into it. That's really one of the biggest inspirations in my, in my work and my life is the creativity and the artistry within my own family, beginning with my mother, my grandfather and my great grandfather. And he, he was a Ben P senior and he was known for at the time to support his habits to support his addictions and gambling and, and alcohol, right? He made yeah. these things. He, he made things. <laughs> yeah, he there's made, been uh, peace stuff all over the place. Traveling sticks. He, he's in more museums than I am. Damn him. Damn. <laughs> he made drums. He made parflesh bags that didn't open. He made rattles. Oh. <laughs> he made coup sticks. Oh, yeah. But at the he- time, he was concerned with uh, supporting his family and his habits. My my mom and my aunt Janine, uh, Linda and Janine, they both at times they sat with him at his booth and they actually sold most of his stuff. Here, you you mm. girls sit here and sell this. I'm gonna go over here and talk with these men. And so he'd be in this this man talking circle over here while his granddaughters were selling his items, right? And because of that, <laughs> he made good friends with some of those those really well known collectors of of the time of the early to mid 1900s, right? And, uh, but he was in his, in his time is considered an art of faker, right? Not really making Uh, artifacts, right? Making things for market, right? Well, influenced by market. And that's, I mean, that could be true, but that also could just be an opinion of what's going on. But I run across a cool interview with Roger stops and, um, this guy's interviewing him about medicine bundles and man, he wants a medicine bundle bad to purchase. So he says, <laughs> Roger stops. Says, well, just go to Ben Pease. He'll make you one. That guy can make anything. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for that plug. Yeah. <laughs> Take the plug. Shameless plug. <laughs> but so my grandpa, he, he made uh, good drinking buddies with Paul Dyke. He's over there almost every week drinking with him and Paul Dyke would pay him in alcohol a lot of times. And so the, uh. that Dyke collection came up with a lot of these items for my grandpa. But so since then, my, my um, grandpa Ben, Ben Pease Jr. He um, went to art school and he was a potter and a painter and a drawer and a maker of cultural items. He made all of our, our dance stuff, you know, he made all of our ceremonial mm. stuff. Um, and then, my mom, she went to art school and she got her, her undergraduates in studio arts. And then she was huh. an art teacher for some time. And now she's getting back into painting and drawing. And she's trying to, after her retirement, move back into uh, um, being an artist, you know. Hmm. And what does that mean today? You know, making paintings, making drawings, spoken word. I don't know what it means, but that's what it is. Hmm. Long line yeah. of art. And Ben has one of the coolest Indian names I ever heard. Mm. Yeah? Yeah, man. Yeah. It's cool. Oh, yeah. Well, what is it? Tell him. <laughs> well, <laughs> my uh, my name, I think it, it originates from Alex Butel. And it was given to my grandfather, yeah. which it was then given to me. And uh. as far as I know, it's pronounced Ashtuptagoshtachiluchish. And it somewhat translates pretty loosely to takes the guns from both sides or, or 
um, what I heard it was, was steals the guns from both enemy camps. Mm. Um, but I've tried to translate it in the meantime. I've been asking really what it means. But uh, so that's where it is. And I see my work sort of existing in two worlds. You know, I'm somewhere in between because mm. I go to these art shows and I'm pigeonholed. They expect me to paint Indians yeah. on horses, right, in a natural habitat as as the token Indian artist at most of these events. You know, they they mm. ask me for my opinion, you know, and a lot of times because of that, maybe I do think I'm a mystic warrior of the plains, you know? Maybe I do. Who knows? <laughs> One of these days, though, Ben Pease is going to have a painting of a crow kid, the stereotypical crow kid at nine, 10 years old on a bike. And to me, that's mm-hmm. going to be like that because that's every crow kid, you know? That's every Indian that's kid. The yeah. It's like, <laughs> man, that freedom of just being on a bike. Yeah, yeah. Hey, don't don't predict in my one hand. <laughs> I'm, just just trying, <laughs> I'm just trying to influence, man. I'm trying to influence. You could also commission. You know, I work uh, as a self-employed <laughs> artist. You know, and I I'm can't taking commissions. You, my list is open at the moment. I can't. I can't. My website. You can find it at www.benpeacevisions.com. And hit me up <laughs> if you're really interested, Aaron. I'll make you a good deal. There you go. <laughs> Making a good deal on that medicine. What I'll do is I'll commission (laughs) a a badass piece of art. I'll take a picture of it and then you can sell it. Oh, all right. (laughs) (laughs) Can't afford Ben P's. I can't even afford myself. I know. Yeah. (laughs) You literally outdone yourself. (laughs) Well, I think that's a lot. That's already, that's a long podcast. Yeah. We've covered well, a lot. There's a lot, you know, there's a lot we could follow up on too. And maybe we'll, we'll process some of these details and maybe down the road, we'll, we'll hit you back up. And after you get the uh, Aaron's artwork finished and that performative yeah. artwork that we suggested, get all those oh, things uh, done. In the- <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And all your spare time. <laughs> uh, we got to collaborate though, because you guys as researchers, so. you guys have facts and I just have opinions. But then today, facts are, are few and far between. Yeah. yeah so let's man, collab. Man, this is, this is the collab. thing. Yeah, this is this is the future, I think, you know, is representing our own way of, of, of researching. And I think mm. expression of that in, in uh, some sort of art form is br- pretty important. We've talked about it in the form of songs and singing, but I think mm. we also see it in the, in the things that we create. So, yeah, you know, we ought to. We ought to chat more and, uh, you know, I, Aaron and I both have individual things we're working on and we got ideas and let's get it out there, man. Let's do it. Let's do it. Let's do it. Cause totally I think down. that's the art. I think that's the art that's for Indians. It don't, it don't pay mm. the bills, you know, it don't pay the bills probably, but man, I think it, if it can truly represent how we think and feel, man, yeah. that's, that's powerful. And I think that most definitely that's some. those are one of the freedoms that I found just recently is is not making work for the market. That's a freedom, yeah. and that's kind of like a superpower of invisibility. Yeah, um, making work for our people, making work for myself, my family, you know, the people in our communities. Yeah, it's a superpower that not a lot of native artists or researchers or educators have. Yeah, um, because we're so influenced by those impositions. So. Hey, you said it's a yeah. long podcast. Joe Rogan does sometimes. He does five hours. Well, no, I'm only saying that because you you asked. <laughs> <laughs> this 
yesterday you texted me and you said, well, how long? Like I, I said, you won't be on the podcast. You're like, how long? <laughs> I said, maybe like an hour. Like I, I'm, maybe like an hour. You're like, I started feeling in the wind around here. Like we're closing up, like some birds out here came and told me. Yeah. yeah. No, no, no. I'm yeah, not yeah. saying that. I Aaron's just, looking at his phone. I'm just, <laughs> Yeah. You in, what did you say? Your Come message, on. your text message implied that you had better things to do. Mm. So, well, um, well, that might be true, but um, <laughs> I didn't want to impose on you. You know, I didn't. Uh, I didn't want to do that. So, so as an apology, I'll go ahead and I'll sing you a song. Oh, here it comes. Oh. Take your hat off, man. No, we don't do that. Get it. <laughs> He's not rope suave. Just uh, just to make this public information, uh, Aaron's nickname, and it's been a running nickname for almost two years now, is King Ropes Suave. And I think that he should be a poster child, a poster boy for the company itself. They should feature him on on their Instagram because he's definitely a figurehead. King (laughs) Ropes Suave. He has many colors of that Mm. hat. And I... I don't know if that was deliberate or those were birthday gifts. That there's one. That wait. That's was that a denim? That's a that's there's blue. a navy. That's a navy. Well, to me, king ropes is one of the one of the highest forms of, of, of solid expressions that you can that you can wear. <laughs> you know? That's, yeah. that's what I see everybody wearing, to be honest. It is. <laughs> One time, one time I went in there, I went into King, King Robes, King Saddlery in Sheridan. And I asked that lady, I said, why do you think Indian people like these hats so much? And man, she didn't want to answer me. She's like, oh, I don't think it's just limited. I was like, come on, it's not racist to say that because there does seem to be, because you go to standoff Alberta, you go to Browning, like they're everywhere, you know, Crow, Cheyenne, yeah. Fort Washakie. Yeah. So. Uh, I don't, for me, really what it came down to was I was born in Sheridan. I started wearing a hat because I was born in Sheridan. Then what ended up happening was that the, sh- the hat is made out of foam and a plastic net. So it's real light. Ah. And your head stays dry and cool. Yeah, man. So then yeah, it's functional. I, used, I used to wear regular ball caps, but they're too heavy and they, they push on my temple. You know, they give you a hat hair. Yeah, these hat hat hair. (laughs) These king rope hats, man. It's like air on your head, man. Plus, they have a nice, like, they have a nice form to them. They have a really nice shape. Yes. To be honest, I think it's part of your brand. We need to get a sponsorship. Hey, man, king rope sponsorship. So, So we're 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 downtown (laughs) Chicago, right? Me and Ben are gonna go get something to eat. Okay, so I'm waiting yeah. for him on the corner. All right, and and I'm like looking around, I'm like, where the hell is this guy? Yeah, and then here he comes. He comes, and then he just yells, "King Rope Swab." It's been a thing. So so Ben worked on that uh, Absalo Gat Women and Warriors uh, yeah. exhibition in Chicago, but to me, the the funnest part of the whole experience. <clears throat> spent about three hours in a hotel with a guy named Grant Bultel who recently passed away from COVID. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He's 80 years old. And it was cool, man. It was like, mm-hmm. it seemed to me like uh, all these trips to Chicago were like pageantry. People were always like, 
hosting us showing off their their food so that moment that three-hour moment was kind of like here's just basically three crow people different generations and he just relaxed man he just relaxed and he just told us stories and so that it's cool it's like one of those moments that you see in movies that that you don't really think actually happen in the real world and then it actually happens and then you're like sitting there and it's surreal and mm. then you look back and it's even more surreal. You know, it's, it's just one of those gifts. <laughs> it was weird because, I mean, we're literally downtown Chicago. Like downtown Chicago. And here we are in this hotel when we could have been partying and we could have been doing whatever. <laughs> we're hanging out with this old dude and he's telling us like, I mean, he's telling Indian stuff, but he's also talking about his time in the service. Yeah, his time rodeo with, with rodeos and his time. Of, yeah, his time in Vietnam for sure. And it was just like chill, man. And he's eating yeah. wings, right? Wasn't it wings? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Hot wings. Yeah, he's just eating these wings on the and, and he's sitting on his bed. Yeah. So we're sitting in the chairs, and I kept thinking, like, I even asked him, you want to sit here? He's like, No. So he's literally 80 years old with his legs hanging off of his bed, <laughs> eating wings, telling yeah. us stories. And it's like we're having a slumber party with the leader of the tobacco <laughs> society. <laughs> Lodge keeper of tobacco <laughs> slumber Sleep party. Over. We had our PJs on. And honestly, one of the first things they said to us when we first walked up to him, he said, What are you guys doing? I thought you young bucks would be out trying to paint the town red. He said, Oh, that's said, right. <laughs> We're like, No, oh, you want to come with us? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like, Oh, we actually came to talk to you, you know. So, to me, it was one of the only times during all of my time in Chicago, it was like. It was just chill. It was real. It wasn't like yeah. no, putting on a show. There's yeah. nowhere to be, you know. And then at yeah. the end of it, I because I recorded it, and at the end of it, I said, "Ben, you got any questions?" And then Ben goes, "Lots." <laughs> <laughs> didn't ask any. Yeah, he didn't ask. But didn't ask any. <laughs> Lots. <laughs> it was I, I, honestly, I was one of those those times where you feel like it's almost not your place because he's going to share what he's going to share. And I didn't feel like um, asking him to go outside of his thoughts. You know, it was just for me, it was a gift to be there. Mm. And uh, that's that's why I didn't say anything, honestly. Yeah. So, yeah, that's what happened. And it was good. It was definitely a cherished moment for both of us, I, I can safely say. Well, it felt good for me because I was mourning the loss of Kobe Bryant. And um, it had that happened yeah. two days before or something. Two days, yeah. We talked about it on the way to the room. I think you, I think you teared up. Was he tearing up, dude? Man, Kobe was my yeah. guy. <laughs> yeah, getting he a little. Up. He had a misty eye. Nice Cody tear. <laughs> Not misty, just the one single, all the way down his neck. It was the co- it was the wind. All right, we came from outside. It was the wind. Pointer finger there. <laughs> And it was that that one that hit you hard. 2020, a bust, man. A yeah. bust. Erase it. No, no, I say no because there's been a lot of beautiful things that happened in 2020. Oh, don't hey, be that right. guy. You know, don't you're be right. that guy. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, <laughs> yeah. It, it is, you know, yeah. It's just part of the, the natural process of things. We needed a reset on some things. It's, it's I okay think. to grieve though, too. It's okay to grieve a year. 
This year sucked. <laughs> All right. Let's just... Maybe 2020 was grieving 2019. I don't yeah, know. Yeah. Yeah. Let's, just, let's, let's just... look at 2019. What happened in 2019? Yeah, let's We're just, just wear black. 2020? Let's just wear black. Let's just stay home. Yeah. <laughs> Come out recharged in 21. And... Like some hotels don't have a 13th floor. Yeah, that's don't even everyone knows what the 14th floor is. No, we know what you are. No, it's been a pretty good year, I think. You know, despite all the loss, you know, it's I think well, there's a pretty monumental event that happened in your life that wasn't particularly positive. <laughs> I think it was, was. That, I think it was. You know, I transitioned into a new career and, mm. and I think I needed it. I need it. Congratulations. I feel untethered. Yeah. I feel valued in the thing. The truth is, 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 um, there are times where it's like, you're not going to leave. You want to leave. You need, you kind of need that. Like, and they just cut you loose and you're like, oh, that ended up being probably the best thing to happen to you in a long time, you know? Yeah. 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 And as you know, I resigned. Yeah. uh, Just uh, my last day is next Wednesday. I'm now oh. the, the Crow Tribal Preservation Officer. Yes. And so. Congratulations there. Yeah, That's it's going to be a lot of work, but I think I needed that. I needed something challenged, that challenge. Yeah. For so. me, it was, you know, putting putting the creativity and work that we did and that we're doing into something that's going to really make a, a change, you know. Because yeah. if you just, it's just, it's just like, you know, painting stereotypical stuff you know it doesn't have a whole lot of purpose and that the kind of work i was doing was well like, he said it already he said that. he went through that stage yeah. where he's an indian yeah. guy in the war bonnet yeah yeah indian guy in yeah, the war yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah that's gonna lose that loses it's it's like there's no mean yeah. it's not meaningful anymore you know even yeah. though they're cool they're, they're probably high quality but at yeah. the end of the day you're like sometimes yeah sometimes indian guys yeah. don't have war bonnets that's right yeah. And I think in my case, it's just a mismatch of vision, you know. Mm-hmm. This was the folks. It it is complete mismatch. So unequally yoked. Uh, <laughs> unequally <laughs> yoked. To borrow yeah. a a phrase from my Pentecostal friends, unequally yoked. <laughs> is that in <laughs> reference to towing a wagon or? No, it no like a egg yolk. Oxen. Oh. <laughs> oxen plow the only time i've actually heard it is when like when when, (laughs) when they say um when they'll say um when they'll say a married couple like one person is like goes to church and is of god and the other one is not then they'll say they're unequally yoked yeah really i think what it is is two visions it's two different directions different page This podcast has been an awesome way to like always kind of rewrite the ship every time. Yeah. Got like weird thoughts and these things. And we use the podcast almost, it's almost therapeutic. So, and even this session Mm -hmm. with Ben has been, it seemed like he used it as therapy a little bit. He was kind of like, you was throwing some stuff out there that you probably don't get to talk about very often. Or maybe you do. I don't know. I get to think about it a lot. I, I talk a lot to my paintings. Just because it's yeah. quite literally a sounding board, you know. <laughs> <laughs> if nothing else, the, the sound literally bounces off of them. <laughs> like I said, it's a lonely place here. Where are you um, at now? Tell I, the tell the listeners where you're at right now. Well, listeners, I'm here sitting in my my office chair, black, 
swivel, um, mesh, <laughs> netted. so I don't sweat. Netted. <laughs> uh, sitting. Not a gamer chair, though. Not a gamer chair. It's, it's definitely yeah. an ergonomic business chair, though. Um, <laughs> in the bowels, I'm sitting within the bowels of Rocky Mountain College. Um, uh, technically, I'm working under an artist residency, which is shifting into a, a fellowship that I'll build when I leave. Oh. Um, and so I'm, I'm building this fellowship for native artists across the country. Um, it's not a big fellowship. It's, I think it's going to be close to $19,000 for any creative individuals, whether you're a researcher mm. or songwriter or playwright or a painter, photographer, mm -hmm. what be it. Um, so that they can come and, and, and learn within the community of Rocky. But so at the same time, you know, I'm creating my work here, but I, like you said, I don't have an umbilical cord. You know, I just have a space mm. and I don't have a tethered, which controls uh, my work and restricts it, unfortunately, and fortunately in a lot of ways. Yeah. Um, because I've always, I've always wondered about how, how institutions control the information that their researchers and their professors, instructors, that they, that they yeah, accumulate, you know? Thing, man. That's a, that's a whole yeah. thing. Yeah, yeah. You write a thesis, say for the University of Montana, they they own it. You know, they Which, they yeah. own the intellectual property. Huh? So if I was to get my degree, say get a master's, and and my thesis would be paintings, they would own the images. They would own the artwork. I guess I don't know how art art. I yeah, think if you wrote a thesis on the history of Crow Indian art, they would own that. Mm -hmm. Under certain departments, I don't, I don't. Anything you create under that lay under that umbrella, they they own it, and it goes into this database. <clears throat> some of which is open to the public, it, and some of it is not. Um, right. My thesis I made public. Um, mm -hmm. um, a lot of people didn't want me to at the university because they said it was proprietary information, but I felt like I didn't own the information, so it, yeah. people should mm -hmm. be able to access it. So. Um, I've always wondered about that stuff. I uh, I have about eight to nine years of college, but I don't have a degree at all. And uh, you're probably better I for it. Never finished because I got too busy, you know, with my career, my painting, traveling, and things like that. But I've always wondered about yeah. how these institutions and universities, how they categorize the, the property that they gain. Well, it worked out for you, man. You made the right decision. Obviously, it's. A lot of times it's not a, even a calculated risk. You just kind of go with the flow, but it seemed like you made the right decision because um, not only are you known, you're, uh, you're respected, but then you're also feeding your family, which is, has to be paramount to any work yeah. you do. <laughs> I think people forget that. Yeah. It's like, yeah, we could talk all this stuff in theory, but at the end of the day, I still got to feed my kids, you know? Right. Mm -hmm. So. <laughs> I still yeah. got to be, be able to buy gas to get out to the hills to shoot a deer, you know, even and, that, uh, yeah. bring it back home and put it on the table. You know, you need knives yeah, to cut yeah. that thing, you know, and buy sharpeners for those knives. Ooh, sharpeners too. <laughs> sharpeners yeah. too. Yeah. <laughs> need, need to yeah buy we're, in freezer tape. We're, we're in the weed. We're in the weed. Sheath. <laughs> freezer tape. Sheath. Freezer, freezer tape. tape. Oh, no. Definitely. It is. It is a, a source of uh, like celebration to realize that I can make a living and not do so yeah. bad at it, you know, because a lot of yeah. my artist friends, 
are kind of in a hard way, you know, even if they are pretty respectively well-known, it's not easy, you know, to, to pay rent, to pay cell phone bill, because you never know mm. when the next uh, painting is going to sell. You never know when the, another check is going to come from mm. a gallery or a museum. You yeah. just, you quite literally are living paycheck to paycheck. And sometimes, sometimes you're living, you know, sometimes you're balling. It's yeah. either feast or famine, it seems like a lot of times. And yeah. uh, lucky enough, I haven't experienced the other part of it for, for a few months now. So I count mm-hmm. my blessings and cross my fingers and my toes. That's a short time you know, scale, but ears. still got to be. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I thought you were going to say years. We said uh, months. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Ben's doing pretty good, guys. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. He's got he's well, two months. In his... full transparency, <laughs> like a painting like this will sell for about $10,000. And whether yeah. I have a representative sell it or, or a gallery sell it, they'll take half. $5,000. Wow. But wow. then you've got business fees like website fees, domain fees. Yeah. You know, you've got shipping and handling. You've got gas, transportation, yeah. framing, conservation. You've got materials and supplies. Yeah. Spotify, you know. God, Spotify. <laughs> you need Spotify. Any creative person who doesn't have Spotify. I don't know how you do it. I envy yeah, you. Yeah, I don't know how you live. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> It's so so what's left of that ten thousand dollars is is minuscule, you know, minute. Yeah. It yeah. almost seems like there's there's never enough, but then hey, I feel like I never have enough. So I'm out buying shoes, you know, out putting a big grill on my truck, yeah. you know, out buying another gun and I don't need all that stuff. I could live in a tent by the river. Yeah. Sing me a song. <laughs> <laughs> this, is a, this is a research podcast though right sorry about that. <laughs> no, that's, that's all that's we're, the same stuff. we're doing it we're doing it this they, is yeah, real this is personal information this is the real tribal research this is the this real is deal woke. this is woke yeah we're woke. woke we're all woke here hashtag <laughs> hashtag woke we're woke well, hey. af I think, yeah, I think we've woke. I think we've, whoever's sticking around this long to listen, I hope they're woke. And uh, yeah, man. Let, let's wrap oh, her are up. They live, live listeners? No, no, no. We're oh. not there yet. I do have a, I do have a Patreon site out there, and if we reach the goal of one hundred and fifty dollars in Patreon, we will do a, a monthly live show. Right now, we're up to Please. I think thirty dollars. Please, yeah, yeah. I implore you. I think yeah. one of the Patreon supporters is my sister. Yeah, well, yeah, 25 of which is Aaron's sister. <laughs> Thank you, Luella. Yeah, yeah. You're awesome. Thank and I'm you, sure Luella. at some point we're going to have you yeah. on the podcast at some point. Yeah, thanks, Luella. Thanks, Emma, for your contributions. So, yeah, 150 Thank live you, show. Everyone. Thank you, live guys. Show. Thank you, Ben. So, let's wrap ben her up. Please. Yeah. We'll follow him on Instagram. For sure. Go to his website. Oh, yeah. You can find my website at benpeasvisions.com. You can follow my work on Instagram and Facebook at benpeasvisions. And uh, yeah, I just had an article published in the Mountain Living Magazine, um, mm-hmm. their annual home of the year edition. So it, well, it is what nice. it is. It's titled Braids on the Inside. So give that a read and, and show oh. some love, please. 
Yes. We'll put those details in the show notes too, so people can link on that. So we'll connect up and we'll get those details out there. All right, partner. Well, thanks. I appreciate it. Appreciate your time. Mm. And then, like I said, we'll, we'll get back in touch, man. And we're, we're going to follow up. There's some, there's some good details you gave us some things Definitely that I, I want to explore more. Yeah. We just scratched and, the surface uh, here. We didn't really figure anything did. out. We just have a lot of opinions here. Uh, yes. yeah. <laughs> a lot of BS. That's all I have. Here. <laughs> That's all it is. <laughs> yeah. But I'm happy. All right, partner. For it. All right. Thank you for joining us on this episode. And if you want to learn more about what we're up to, go ahead and search Tribal Research Specialists in Twitter, Facebook, or YouTube, and uh, check out our other sites. And uh, if you want to contribute to the show, go ahead and look us up on Patreon. We would appreciate your donations.